Hey, my name is Tina Pisnik and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 64 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. Today we are speaking to Tina Pijnik, a former top 30 player who runs her own tennis academy in Chicago. We talk about her favorite moments as a tennis player and challenges she faced along the way. Before we get started, I'd like to mention our new free webinars that we are launching very soon. We will dive deep into tennis topics on and off the court. We have some great speakers lined up, including some previous guests of the show. If you want to find out more, head over to functionaltennis.com forward slash webinar and leave your email address. Also, a big shout out to our podcast sponsors, Slinger. They're slowly rolling out more countries to their delivery list. Okay, let's chat with Tina. Hi, Tina. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. You're actually, you're the second Slovenian to be on the podcast. Can you guess who else? I heard that podcast with Kaya, yeah. Oh yeah, she's so nice. I was... I was great speaking to her. And uh, do you know her? She's a little younger than me, and I already left Slovenia when um, she came to the scene. But like, of course, you know, like Slovenia is a pretty small country, so we're all one big happy family, basically. <laughs> I, w- I was excited to talk to her, and as uh, as I'm excited to talk to you right now, and even Hercog Polona, and she's gone off the radar a little bit. I was checking her Instagram account today. No post from her for the past year. So she must be just concentrating on tennis and life and keeping away from social, which is important. Yeah, I mean, the the social media is kind of like a blessing and a curse, I think. You know, it's fun and it's it's nice. But then at the same time, it's time consuming. It takes the focus away. So, you know, if you're able to balance it both and maybe have a little help, you know, you can use it to to make it really good. True. Yeah, you're right. Find the balance is the hard thing. Like everything in life, find the balance, be it eating or sleeping or partying or work, you have to find the balance. But yeah, let's let's talk a bit about your tennis career. From my bit of research, you were the world number one junior. You won the Orange Bowl. uh, You're two time Olympian. You won some WTA tournaments. You got the top 30 in the world. That's a pretty good career. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm super proud of it. A bit sad that it got cut short by the car accident when I think I was peak of my career. I was 30 in the world playing a tournament in LA and um, got in a car accident with the official driver going back to the hotel. So like after that, you know, I had a neck surgery and had to, you know, after, what was it, maybe like a good year, I had to just come to stopping my career and stopped playing pro tennis and uh, kind of went into coaching after that. And how old were you when the accident happened? 24. Okay. So like you, you weren't at, you were nowhere near your peak yet. You were still, you know, you're on the right road and devastating. Was it the accident take you out straight away? Did you get back on the court after it? So I kept trying coming back to the court. So I actually injured my neck. Um, so you know, I was out for a few months after that, then tried to play, I think it was US Open and then the Olympics. But it was, it was more of a me trying to get back into it, not really accepting the fact that, you know, it's not good. And it has, it, it will 
require a little more treatment. And like at the end, I got I got a neck surgery. So um, that kind of helped me gain probably back to like 60, 70% of my, you know, normal where I used to be. So I'm at least happy I can still play tennis and I can still coach, but I was never able to really go into like back to competitive tennis and being back on tour and play every week and, you know, train hours a day. So, um, yeah, I was, it was kind of like from today to tomorrow, my career basically ended. Oh God. So yeah, it wasn't planned. No, not. And how did you deal with that mentally? That's a big talk these days, the whole mental side of injuries and after tennis and how is that side of things? It was difficult. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was depression. It was, you know, I was super low with everything. Um, everything that I known up until I was 24 just disappeared overnight. And um, I think athletes, not just tennis players, but athletes were treated more like robots. No, no emotions, no feelings. And it's not true. Right. And, and, and if we express that, um, we're treated as we're weak, you know, why are you complaining? You're living a life and all that, but I don't think it's talked about enough. And, um, my time, I didn't really get much help. It was more me, myself and I, and, um, you know, just trying to figure it out. And it took me good four years to actually kind of accept what happened. And, you know, like you're not going to go back to where you were and you need to find and move, find a new way and move forward. And um, so it was, it was, it was tough, but, you know, looking back, I think it just made me stronger. Um, And it was, I guess that was my fate. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And where did you go after, after you stopped playing? Did you go back to Slovenia or were you in the States? No. So I I always lived in Slovenia. I moved to the academy a little bit when I was 16 for a few years to the US, but basically I was always based out of Slovenia. So I did all my preparation and all the training there. Um, So, you know, I went back to, I I was back in Slovenia and um, I opened my own tennis club I was always saying that after I'm done with my career, I'll be a coach. I always enjoyed coaching. And uh, I guess it was kind of in the family because my dad was a soccer coach and I saw his passion for the sport. So I, I kind of felt that's going to be my path. It was, it started a bit earlier than I thought, but, um, you know, like I said, I, I opened my own club. I had it for five years, but then it was, you know, I, I enjoyed the coaching part. I enjoyed the the kids, you know, everything that involved tennis, but then being an owner, it's kind of everything else as well, you know? And I kind of like wanted to go straight into coaching, just coaching, no, no office work. <laughs> so yeah, no payroll, taxes, VAT and all sorts. Yeah. And I don't think I was, you know, mature enough to handle both sides of the business. So. Then I opened my coffee place. Um, so I went into that, tried it for a few years. I tried to work in the office for a little bit, you know, and just wanted to make sure that tennis and coaching is the thing that I absolutely want to do in the future. And um, it was important for me to to see what I don't want to do. Um, so I'm 100% committed to tennis and coaching now and you know, after, after I was a Fed Cup captain in Slovenia, I was kind of like, okay, what's next? Where can I, you know, what else can I do in Slovenia? I kind of felt like it's a little small. I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's go and explore the States. So that's when I moved to Chicago and this is where I am now. 
Great. And you run the program there at the moment. Yes, I have my own program. Yeah. And I do run both sides of the businesses now. So <laughs> taxes and office work as well. But I feel like, okay, you know, I'm I'm mature enough. I, I know how to pace myself. I know how to put time into, you know, being on court and then do the other stuff as well. So um, it's been fun. Great. You know, there's so much you can learn. And did you, you mentioned a coffee shop there. You had a coffee shop back in Slovenia. Yeah, I had it. You know, I always kind of, I, I was like, okay, maybe I'll have a restaurant. I, I, I love to eat. Right. So, so Who doesn't I, do? uh, yeah, so uh, I was like, okay, I'll have a restaurant, but then, you know, it ended up being a coffee shop and it was, you know, a great experience, uh, but it's not my home field. So it's, it was, you know, it was a lot of things to learn and um, it was super fun, but you know, after like three or four years, it was time to move on and, and go back 100% into tennis. And um, yeah, it's been fun. Going back to your tennis, we also had somebody else who you worked with on the podcast in the early days, Mark Pecci. He was your coach. Yeah, yeah. He was my coach in, uh, what was that, a few years back? <laughs> but those were fun years. I, you know, it was super, super good to catch up with him when there was a Labor Cup in Chicago and, and he was here. So we got together. And yeah, I learned a lot, a lot about that from, from Mark and, you know, help, he helped my game a good amount when we worked together. Because looking back at my notes, your name is on my notes, but I didn't know who you were at the time. And it's just good to be able to put two and two together, put, put the puzzle together. But how long did you work with him for? Um, it was about two years. Okay. And tell me, did you keep working with him? Was he around your injury time or was it after that or before that? It was actually before that. It was like the beginning of my pro career. He was he was there. He we actually met through Sylvia Talaya. So he worked with her. And um since I knew Sylvia a little bit, uh we kinda like, you know, got together, started practicing together, and then then like I kinda hopped on the team and we traveled together and then um for a few months it was just one on one with Mark. Um Great, great. I love hearing him on TV. Does a great job. He's on Amazon now, and some of his lines are are pretty good. He's he's getting to be as good as Rob Cohen now with some of his one liners. He's good. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever. Get the new Cord FF3 Novak or Gel Resolution 9 at ASICS.com. ASICS Tennis have also just launched their new Cord FF3 Novak, the only tennis shoe designed with Novak Djokovic input. To learn more about ASICS, visit their website www.asics.com. Uh, from all your tennis matches, which ones for you stand out the most? It was probably finals, Croatian Open in Bowl when I played um, Emily Morismo. It's, it's just kind of like I, I never went into matches not believing I can win, but that was the match where we started playing and it was like one all, two all, three all. And I, I kept waiting for her to like switch gears and, you know, just overtake and, and take control of the match. And uh, I kind of like hung in there and and was like, okay, maybe, you know, I, I'm, I'm in there. I'm, you know, playing. I can actually win, you know. Um, but like looking back, that was like the mental part was like, I always thought, okay, she's going to just step up and, you know, take control, but it never happened. And that's kind of like stuck with me. And I felt like that 
gave me that extra confidence that like, okay, maybe I belong. Like I'm there. I can, I can play these big girls, big names that are up there for a while and, you know, actually beat them. So that was, that was probably one of the matches that gave me that kick in the butt that, you know, yeah, you belong. So, um, do you think that you belong feel makes such a big difference whether you're practicing with some top players or whether you do get that opportunity in a match and you may not win the match but it may be really tight much tighter than you expected and all of a sudden you have this newfound belief that wait I'm good enough to hang around with these yeah um it's very much about mental part right so I think everyone that does play those tournaments they learn how to play forehands and backhands yes obviously there are some weaknesses in their you know some of their games but it basically comes down to, you know, believing that you can win and, you know, obviously always give them respect, but never fear anyone. Just having that experience and being exposed to that, I think it does show you that, you know, you can play, you can be there, you can beat there. So um, it's it's obviously a big part of tennis is the mental part that you believe and then you can achieve. Yeah, if you don't believe you're in trouble. I suppose that's probably where a good team around you can help as well to build up your belief in your own game. Absolutely, yeah. And what other learnings did you take from your, your short, shortish career into your after tennis, after tennis career? What are the main learnings you can extract from them? It's obviously hard work, right? The hard work pays off. I think that it teaches you uh, time management, it teaches you how to handle adversity, teaches you how to solve problems, you know, because we we all, when, when, it, when you're a kid, everything is like la-la land, you know, like everything is, it's nice, it's perfect, you know, someone else takes care of your problems. But um, once once you're out there and you're exposed to that, you know, you're out of the bubble. So you have to learn how to deal with that. You need to learn you know, how to be mentally strong. And, and a lot of times, you know, just ignore your emotions and feelings because, you know, that can just, it does, it does break you, you know? So I think that just gave me an extra push and like being exposed to all of that when I was young, it helped me get through the problems or the, the car accident and how to get back. Maybe easier than someone that didn't experience that as a young kid. So I think, I think it does teaches you, you know, life lessons. It's not just tennis and sports. It's, it's after that you can use all the skills that you learned when you were younger. And speaking of those skills that you learned, encore coaching, are you for or against it? I'm guessing you're against it, but I could be wrong. Um, I, I probably am for encore coaching when they're a little younger to teach them to understand the game. But again, I think you have to be able to solve problems, you have to, you know, start reading the game. And I think that's missing, you know, like they just wait. The, the issue, not the issue, but the thing that I'm running into as a coach now is kids just wait to be told what to do instead of, you know, figuring things out on their own. So um, I think if they're taught that from the young age, then, you know, you don't need anyone else to tell you uh, what needs to be done. So we, we, your kids there in your, in your smash tennis program, what do you do to help them figure it out themselves? I ask questions. Okay. I try to hear what they think, not to tell them what I saw and what I see with my eyes, but you know, what they see, what, how they felt, what they think they could have done better or differently. And that's one that's like specific on tennis. But then on the other hand is, 
you know, a lot about respect and hard work that we, that I'm a big believer in. So if you show up late, you're in trouble. Yes, 100%. <laughs> you're doing sprints yes. for the day. Yes, I, I do not like that. And if you don't say hi, bye and thank you. Yeah, that's my pet peeve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right there. Look, tennis uh, can be look can be part of your personal development off the court, and it can make you a better person. So it's great that you know kids; they may not become the best players in the world, but at least they you're teaching them an education. Yes, which is which is really important, and that will stand to the kids. So, and that will stand to you as a coach, also. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And tell me, what about? The Olympics, what's it like to, to represent your country at the Olympics? Not many players get to achieve that. So um, it's the next level, right? We have, we have Grand Slams that we, you know, hang around the best players, tennis players in the world. Once you get to the Olympics, it's you're hanging out with the best athletes of the world. Um, it's a whole different animal. It's a, it's a great achievement. I'm super proud of being part of two Olympics that... Yeah, you know, it's it's even like it's hard to explain, but I just like just being around all the athletes and see them, you know, first how human they are when we were in like an Olympic village and, you know, just to talk to them and then them stepping on their field and just being almost not human anymore. So um, that was that was a great, great experience in my life. Great to be around these people so they can help you push yourself to another level. Yeah, when you think you're working hard and then you look at them and you're like, okay, maybe I'm not working that hard. You know, I, I still have room for improvement. So yeah, that's another thing. Never, never stop improving. We, we'll end this shortly, but what other learnings can you tell young kids who want to be pro tennis players? But as you said, you never know what can happen along the journey. So what can they best do to prepare for what may occur? First, I think you need to enjoy the journey. Right. It's like you have to love what you do because it's it's not going to be easy. It's not easy. Um, so you just got to, you know, just love it. Second, a lot of them expect the result overnight and it's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So you need to be patient. You need to put the work in. You need to put the work in when things are not going well, because this is when it's, you know, majority of the people will quit. You know, it's like, oh, this is not working. It's not for me. But, you know, this is where you push. This is when you're patient and just wait for the opportunity that's going to come and control the controllable. You know, you, you never know what's going to happen. But if you create a problem before the problem exists, then this is this is what's going to be stopping you. So I think you just have to be open minded and keep pushing and keep working hard and and be able to get out of your comfort zone on a daily basis. And be very positive. 100%. Yes. Okay, oh, I just ask you one question before I put it on. This goes live on just after the US Open final is finished. Who do you think will win the men's and females? I think Novak will take the men's and Kvitova women's. Oh, nice. Safe bets there. Safe bets. I, I hope I hope you're right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen too many matches because obviously I work a lot and the, you know, we're in the same time zone, so it's gonna. Yeah. <laughs> they play the same time as I work, but as much as I saw that those two looked very solid on the court, and uh, they looked like they put a lot of work in during the quarantine. So they do. Yeah, the time zone thing is we're not so good here. The matches start now, actually here, and then this, actually this morning when I got up at five a.m., Sitsi Pass was in the middle of his meltdown. I watched, I watched that. I watched that. He had six match points in the fourth yeah. set. Oh, it's 
Terrible, Ter- yeah. poor guy. But anyway, he'll get over and come back stronger. I'm actually happy for Borna. <laughs> he's a local Baltic yeah, local. Uh, player. Yes, yes, Balkan. Yeah, he's a go. hard worker. Well, look, uh, thanks a lot again and we'll speak soon. You're welcome. Bye. Sounds good. All righty, we'll be in touch. All right, bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Tina. If you have any feedback at all, please send it on to the Functional Tennis Podcast account over at Instagram or you can email ace at functionaltennis.com. Be it good or bad feedback, I'm always willing to listen and learn and improve the podcast. Finally, head over to functionaltennis.com slash webinar to get more info on the new live webinars, which are launching very soon. Really excited about it. A big thanks to you, our listener, and also to our podcast sponsor, Slinger. Until next week, go out there and hit some forehands. Bye.